Ahoy authors! You're listening to The Writership Podcast, a show focused on helping indie authors master self-editing skills. So come aboard and get ready to find the treasure in your manuscript with hosts Leslie Watts and Clark Chamberlain. Welcome to episode 100 of The Writership Podcast. Today, we're answering your questions. I'm Leslie Watts, here with Clark Chamberlain from The Book Editor Show. To learn more about the podcast, visit writership.com slash podcast. As you know, the Writership Podcast is brought to you by the good folks at Author Marketing Club, home of the new and improved Amazon Reviewer Grabber Tool. You know you need high-quality reviews for your books, so you should use the AMC Reviewer Grabber Tool to quickly and easily locate reviewers that are ready, willing, and able to review your books for you. Become a premium member of AMC now by visiting www.authormarketingclub.com and get instant access to this tool and more. Hey, Clark. Hey, how's it going? It's going well. It's going well. So <laughs> we got to see each other last week. Yes, which was a lot of fun. Yes, and you showed me some videos from your new oh. Harry Potter course. Yes, indeed. So um, if you haven't had a chance, it, it's really great to just go and watch the video. I promise. <laughs> um, go to thebookeditorshow.com slash Potter. And what I'm doing is uh, a chapter by chapter of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Um, do a deep analysis and then take what those lessons are in each of the chapter so that you can then learn to apply them to other genres or your own writing. And so it's been a lot of fun so far. And uh, it's it's a do-at-your-own-pace course, so you can jump over there and pick it up if you want. Or if you just want to watch the video and get a good laugh, that's all right, too. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, the the classes within, you know, the videos within the course are amazing. And so I think definitely check out the the course material. And the video is just to die for. Totally go <laughs> over and see it. Definitely, definitely. And it was so much fun to be able to record with you last week, though, live in person. That was really cool. Yes, yes. So episode 101, we're a little time warpy mm -hmm. here, <laughs> is the one that will come for you next week. We recorded together in yeah. person, and that was really fun because it was great to see your facial expression and you know when so it, it felt more even more like having a conversation mm -hmm. and i really yeah had a great time yeah. no it was really good and um but just want to give you a big congratulations though on 100 episodes that's oh, pretty awesome i you know this is really exciting uh it's wow yes and it's so fun right because we were at this again, at the Smarter Artist Summit, and getting to meet people who've been listening for a long yeah. time <laughs> was so fun. You know, we uh, met Caro and Jennifer, and I'm probably going to forget a couple of names, but also meeting Kel Cade, uh, mm -hmm. who's an epic fantasy author in uh, that was a real treat. There were, it, it was just, it was really, really fun to get to talk with people who've been listening for a long time. And um, yeah, it was a fun event. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I mean, it, it just goes to, because I was standing there with you when um, I don't remember who it was that came up, but she's like, I'm just going to have a fangirl moment on you right now, Leslie, and just love what you're doing there. I mean, you're really, 
you're really doing something. You're really doing something that's changing people. And that's pretty cool. Thanks. Thanks. Mm -hmm. Well, so we have some exciting things coming up in addition to your fantastic course. Uh, We have 100 quick writing tips for you. That's awesome. For listeners. These are all taken from the last 100 shows, right? They are from the last 100 shows and a few other bits of content that I've written over the last two years. Um, the My assistant Jody went through lots and lots and lots of stuff and pulled out these nuggets and then I got to play with them and expand them a little, but they are quick. So you can just digest them and apply them as needed. And I, I always like to say I have a, I'm reluctant to give out quick tips because mm-hmm. I want to explain things. Like I want to mm-hmm. give the whole, if I'm going to, for example, if I'm going to explain Brexit to you, I want to start in, at 1066 when William the Conqueror, uh-huh. you know, invaded England and that's just not necessary all the time so if you go through the quick tips and you find something's confusing or you need more information absolutely reach out to us find another source that goes into it in depth don't just um don't get stuck there oh and and where can they find that again well they can find it at writership.com slash quick tips which is all one word writership.com slash quick tips for your 100 100 mm-hmm. quick tips and um we also have some stuff coming on with patreon which i think is really cool yeah so as you know author marketing club has been our stalwart supporter since the beginning and they take care of the technical stuff and they also take care of the hosting and and some of those you know those details but we are essentially you and I are working for free mm-hmm. and we thought that it would be a great way for people who want to engage with us a little more beyond the regular episodes to find a way to support us and our time in producing the podcast but also get to connect with people a little more deeply mm-hmm. so so we've started a patreon page where if you feel strongly about the writership podcast you can support us and in exchange for that we have some really great rewards yeah i, I like these so i'm um, starting off with the cabin crew it's only two dollars per month and you get a shout out on the podcast featured on writership.com supporter page with an optional link to your own website. So that's some good backlink and advertising stuff going on. Yeah, yeah, lovely uh, connections. Mm-hmm. And then uh, if you wanted to spend just a little bit more, Shipmates, only $5 per month, and you're invited to email us uh, all your questions, um, which lastly we'll answer in a monthly bonus Q&A podcast episode, plus a shout-out on the podcast and featured on Writership's uh, supporters page, again, with the optional link to your website. And if you want to going all in here, be a quartermaster for only $10 per month. You're invited to a 
group Google Hangout where you can chat with Leslie and ask questions about writing, editing, and her love of all things seafaring. Plus, <laughs> get a shout-out on the podcast featured on Writership.com supporters page with an optional link to your site and the monthly bonus Q&A podcast episode. So that's pretty cool. And so inexpensive. It's very, very, very reasonable. Yeah, it was really important. I didn't want it to be. And that's kind of the way Patreon works is that it's, you know, the, a small amount and then in exchange for really cool stuff, extra stuff, and just a way to, for you to engage with us in a different way. Yeah. Yeah, and then you're getting to support the arts. Right. So keep doing this type of show. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, well, we're doing things a little differently today because it's the 100th show. And why not? You know? Just yeah. Change it all. <laughs> change everything. We're changing everything from now on. <laughs> since you love how it's been. <laughs> For 100 episodes, we'll just... Yeah. Dash it all against the rocks. Okay. <laughs> so, but today we're answering some questions and we have some great questions that I'm excited about talking about because they're all really great topics and things that I love to talk about. And lots of people have these questions. So I think that it's going to be, it's going to be really great. But before we do that, do you have a quote for us? Yeah. I, I do have a quote. Awesome. So, and this comes from Rust Hills and it, out of his book, Writing in General and the Short Story in particular, talking about point of view. The rules can be broken, of course, if the violation isn't noticeable or if enough is achieved by doing so. But to break the rules of point of view unwittingly with nothing accomplished by it is to harm the story foolishly. For if the reader is sophisticated, he will see the error and discount the work. And even if he is so innocent of fiction techniques as to not notice it consciously, you'll have an uneasy feeling, vague as it might be, that something has gone a bit wrong. And I really have always liked this quote because just like when you're playing music and you hit the wrong note, people mm -hmm. notice that. People notice how like things should be flowing and how the, the words work together. And it's the same thing is actually true in fiction. And so although you might think you're not hurting your story by breaking a rule or unknowingly not even learning all the rules, the, the reader will notice it. Because, I mean, storytelling is our first language. We get it. We know how it should sound. Yes, definitely. And the thing is, I think that the reader won't necessarily be able to tell you what's wrong. So it's in, it's important for us to police, <laughs> police ourselves. <laughs> Goodness gracious. Who is that? <laughs> no. So to, you know, keep working on the craft and I am all for breaking the rules in service of the story. Mm -hmm. I don't right. believe in blindly following, but having a purpose and understanding right. the purpose for understanding what the rule accomplishes and then what you're trying to accomplish for your story is really important. And it's a-okay as, as well to experiment and you want to, you know, when you're putting stuff out in the world, put your best foot forward and be intentional yeah. about your stories. Yes, intention is very important. 
this is the hundredth episode. I really feel like you should also have a quote. Uh, Do you have one? Okay. You've twisted my arm. <laughs> so I've just discovered this book, Creating Short Fiction, the classic guide to writing short fiction by Damon Knight. And there's a great, this is a fantastic book, by the way. And I, I'm noticing that I'm emphasizing and too much. I want to mm -hmm. stop doing that. That's really distracting. Okay. He, this is a great quote that I just love in here. Writing talent is probably more common than anybody suspects, and it is less important to a writer's career than most people believe. I have known highly talented young people who, for one reason or another, have dropped out of writing and never reappeared. And I've known people with very modest talents who, by sheer determined effort, have become professionals. I can't pump determination into you, and I wouldn't if I could. What I can do is try to tell you what you're in for and help you acquire the skills that make the difference between the amateur writer and the professional. Again, that's from Damon Knight. That's really good. Yeah, I love it because talent plays a role and some people uh -huh. are natural storytellers and they just kind of have that on board and that's not the whole you know it's not the whole package there's right. there's so much more and even people who are you know who are naturally talented in storytelling have to work at it have to keep improving and and building their skills in order mm -hmm. to continue to grow as a writer and so and it, and then if you're not naturally talented like I'm not naturally talented in storytelling I have to really work at it and my son is a natural storyteller uh -huh. uh, which is really fun for me to see and I'm a little bit envious only a little because mm -hmm. I, I love him a lot. so but, but the point is that it's worth it to me to keep working on it yeah. and, and you know getting to the point where I feel comfortable sharing what I've written. So yeah, that's totally understand. Like it's you got to just keep at it. Um, I was listening to Gary V the other day, and he's not a, he's not a writer. He's not in the indie writing. He's all about motivation and salesmanship and stuff like that but uh he's like you know i can't tell someone to go out and get more talent <laughs> you know, like, right. Like, right but if you know if you've got two people that are both working hard but one of them's doing it 365 days per year and the other one's only doing 150 the one who's doing it 365 is going to just get more results because you're continually doing it over and over again and putting in that time putting in the days so You'll eventually get there. Yeah. And it's not just, I, I've i been listening to Cal Newport's book, Deep Work. Uh -huh. And this had never, it, this had never clicked for me. But what I heard him say, explain about deep work and having habits where you do, you know, where you do this mastery regularly is that we have 
this special coating on our nerves that's Mm -hmm. um, myelin coating. And the more we do something, you know, a task or or a habit, the more the the nerves that run that thing get more of this myelin coating and that it makes the connection go faster. So the more we practice, the more we work on our writing, the better it's going to be and the more natural it's going to feel. Mm-hmm. So I liked, I liked having that. Like I already know that a habit helps, but this was kind of the neurological basis for why habits help. And that was really yeah. cool. That is cool. So should we jump into these questions? Yeah, let's do some questions. Very cool. Um, I'll, I'll read the first one. Okay. Uh, this is, let's see. Yes, we can name. Uh, this is Lee Allen. And what's your question? Hi, both. I'm a big fan of the show. Uh, regarding passive voice, although I've written a few books now and understand the concept of minimizing this issue, I still find it becomes a challenge with more complex sentences and when trying to mix things up, remove repetition from paragraphs. It'd be great to hear any quick tips, rules of thumb that help a writer get a positive habits and minimize um, PV, uh, passive voice. And by the way, I heard that us Brits are more prone to use passive voice than Americans. Thoughts also on that are welcome. Um, Is this more of a taste or style thing than a grammar issue? Thanks and congrats on show 100. Lee. Yay. (laughs) I feel like I should have had like a horn to blow every time we mentioned it was the show 100. (laughs) (laughs) So. (laughs) That would be fun. We'll have to do that for show 200. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So passive voice. Yes. You know, what's really interesting, Lee, is that you're absolutely right that in the UK, people don't get as upset about passive voice. And so I think in part, it is a cultural or a style issue. And so you always want to be mindful of your audience. So that's one piece. On the other hand, or on the one that's on the one hand, on the other hand, passive voice can make the prose really clunky. And in terms of storytelling, like, again, let's think about what the passive voice does. It is the object of the sentence, essentially. The the thing that is acted upon becomes the actor in the sentence or, the you know, it's in the subject position. So the ball was knocked by the cat. And so it's it's this it's a weird assignment essentially in, you know, in English syntactically in other languages, you don't have the same um, situation, but, but in English, when, when that happens, it's a, you know, we think about it differently. And sometimes that's exactly what we want, especially in certain circumstances, like when you're trying to avoid, saying who's doing something. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm trying to think of, there are some classic huh. examples in politics and I'm blanking on them right now. <laughs> but but well, you well, get the point that yeah. sometimes you want to, you don't 
sometimes you want that passive construction because you want to indicate that somebody is a passive actor in a certain transaction. Yes, that is an excellent place to put that. And then um, one of the easy, quick rules of thumb, if you find the B verbs, they're usually the ones that are going to point out your passive voice. And then the first thing is just see if you can move the stuff that's after the B verb and swap it with the stuff that's before it and see if you can just work it that way. Sometimes it's a really easy fix. Yeah, sometimes it is. That's that's a great point because you can just, as you say, you're looking for the the B verbs are like your first flag, and then mm-hmm. it's whether the whether the, the, who's they, the acting and the actor. Yeah, in there. So and so you can swap them around, and sometimes you can't. Sometimes you have to get creative, and sometimes mm-hmm. you do want to use that when you don't want to reveal. Again, when you don't want to reveal, mistakes were made. That's the one I was trying to think of. <laughs> Right? That's just, Mm -hmm. we don't want to own up that I don't want to tell you who made the mistakes. I'm just going to tell you that mistakes were made. And in a, you know, when you're in a mystery, or, you know, when we don't know who killed somebody, then, you know, that's certainly appropriate. But as I say, it can make the prose a little clunkier, because you're adding the to be verb in, in there. And then, it just has a, you know, it has a passive feel to it, right. but sometimes it's necessary. Yeah, because we want to, we want things to be action oriented, you know, mm-hmm. doing instead of reacting or instead of just Being things just feeling to. like they're done to. Yeah, so <laughs> yeah, <laughs> done hard by. <laughs> and that said, the. The, it's really important, of course, to know your audience. And so if you're writing for people in the UK, then you want to, you have more freedom, I would say, right. with that than if you're writing for primarily a US audience. Mm-hmm. Totally agree. Do you have anything else that you wanted to add on that? Hmm. No, I think, I think. That's it. I'll probably think of something later. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, so from Emily Bowie, she asks, starting a novel can be overwhelming and terrifying. There is a lot of conflicting information out there about pantsing versus outlining and approaches in between. What do you recommend? Oh, yeah. This is, yes, this is the age-old argument, right? Yeah. Which one is better? You know, which which one makes the better story? Um, I think that one of the things that uh, you should do what's comfortable for you, first of all. <laughs> right? Like, uh, right. You know, like in the end of it. But if you haven't tried everything, if you haven't tested out the different methods, then you haven't decided what's actually best for you yet. But that being said, if you want to be in the indie publishing world, you need to learn how to outline because you will not be able to create material at a fast enough pace to make that profitable for you. And that's a whole commercial thinking of it. It has nothing to do with with a story element or any of that other thing. That is just a pure commercial opinion. Yeah, yeah. And beyond that, I think, too, that 
if you right if you don't care how long it takes you know if i'm if you're if like donna tart you're willing to work on a novel for 10 years then you know then do it however you can you can pants Mm-hmm. And that's fine. Well, uh, and then just to, before I lose my thought there, yeah. that that's something you see in traditional publishing right. that you'll have an author that comes out and they have an amazing first book. Mm-hmm. And then the next year, the second book comes out and it's not so good. <laughs> and then, you know, and then the one after that's not so good. That's because that first novel, they've been working on it for like seven years, mm-hmm. you know, and so they had all this time with it and they hadn't learned how to do this quickly and how to, you know, get into the story uh, at a fast pace, which is required to make this a profession. Yeah, yeah. And it's such a good point, too, because the more you do it, you know, like, mm-hmm. you're you're going to gain a certain amount of mastery in working on one story. But if yes. you work on two stories, you have... You know, twice as much opportunity for mastery because you're dealing with new situations, new characters. And even if you're in the same genre or in the same series, mm-hmm. you're still going to be encountering different things that you will, you know, that you can use to opportunities to improve your writing. And, and I think it is a very individual decision and at the same time, the novel is a form and it has boundaries and mm-hmm. the boundaries help us because they give us, if you're just meandering, you know, you'll just, yeah, that's what it is. If you uh-huh. have no boundaries, then you just meander or you can. Yeah. And yeah, I'm reluctant to say, oh, everybody should do X, Y, Z, other than everybody should do what works for them. And I recommend right. what, what, experimenting. Uh, yes, experimenting for sure. Like trying out, like pick up someone's book, you know, that talks about writing thousands of words per day and, and try their method out and see if, if it's useful for you. I was going to ask, Leslie, what do you use? What do you like when you're writing? I have a certain amount of structure that's not... I. I fall, okay, so if there's a continuum of Mm -hmm. 1 to 100, and let's say 1 is a total pantser who just sits down and follows the story wherever, and 100 is somebody who plots everything and just has to add some, a few transitions here and there, I'm probably around... 75% in that, you know, in the plotting. Yeah. Because I think, think, I I write and kind of, I do exploratory writing to Uh create my outline and then from the outline write the novel. Yeah. That's a cool way to do it. So I um, I do a lot of outlining. Mm-hmm. on the basis of the story structure uh-huh. and but not so much with characters like I, I'm not one of these people that sit down and, and this is kind of funny because I have all these worksheets about creating characters <laughs> in some of my courses because I, I know some people like to do that mm-hmm. you know and they want to know how to do that better and I'm not that person like actually I like the character to show themselves to me as we're going along in the story mm-hmm. I'll discover things in that way and yeah it, it changes stuff and it's not in concrete 
um, my outline. If it's uh, if the story dictates something else because of the characters, which has happened more than once, mm-hmm. then make the change. And I and I like that. Yeah. Um, one of my uh, in a local writers group here, she doesn't like doing the outlining because after she's done it, she doesn't care about writing anymore with it because mm. she's explored it all. Like she knows right. where, where it's going. And for her, the writing is discovering a mystery for her, but uh-huh. you know, she just does it on her own. She's not trying to do this professionally. She's not trying to do those things. And so if she were to be forced into doing the outline method, she'd probably just drop doing writing altogether because it wouldn't be exciting for her. Right. Right. And you know, I think that one way, cause at, I, <laughs> I'm thinking, mm-hmm. oh, is, it's not, is it helpful? It is helpful to hear, do what's right for you and experiment. But I wanted to go like one step further and consider like, what level of structure you need in your everyday life. Like, mm-hmm. How do you approach other projects like for work, um, in school, like what has worked for you and, and try to extrapolate from that what would be a kind of ideal level of structure for you as you're writing and and if something's not working then try something else for sure don't just keep pushing against it so we should there's resistance in writing obviously in art as Stephen Pressfield has told Uh us yes so that we have to be able to discern what is resistance and what is this method doesn't work for me. Right. And so the litmus test I use for that is whether I'm, if I'm relieved that, you know, if there's a kind of, I get it, you know, in touch with like how I'm genuinely feeling underneath everything else. And if I'm relieved that it's kind of not working, that's resistance Mm -hmm. in me. If I'm really pissed and frustrated, oh, I just swore. Um, <laughs> <laughs> then, then this the structure that I'm trying to use isn't native to me, and I'll work at it a little for a little while, but it but not for long before I go and try something else because mm-hmm. you don't want to you want to give something a good try, but you don't want to waste your time and and flounder and if it's not working for you ditch it and try the next thing Mm -hmm. yeah and i would also um add one other thing with this if you've never finished um a manuscript you've never actually completed a novel and you're what i call a four chapter author where you can get to those first four chapters and things are really fun and then it just kind of all falls apart and you just toss the project away and go on to something else I would really highly recommend trying outlining and really understanding where you're trying to go with that story to see if it'll help you finish a manuscript because that's where the real writing comes in is after that manuscript's done and you get into all the editing and I think that's where the real art's at, you know, and really crafting the rest of the story around it. Yeah, yeah, I agree. That's when the fun begins. <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh, a lot of people don't think so. <laughs> I know. I know. And that's another thing. So that we're all so individual, but we have some common threads. And the common thread 
one common thread is resistance and the other common thread is that we all need to find the path that works. Yes. Um, the next question comes from uh, Peter DeHaan. I hope I pronounced that correctly. And this question is, I've heard pieces criticized for head hopping, but if it's written in third person omniscient, isn't that permissible? So isn't head hopping a non-issue for third person omniscient? Yeah. yeah. Good question. So. <laughs> That's a great question because there's a lot of confusion about that. Right. And so the idea of head hopping is an unintentional slip where you switch point of views. It, maybe it's in the same scene or between chapters or someplace that happens where all of a sudden you're in someone else's point of view or that the character, depending on your point of view choice, the character didn't know it. But the question being the third person omniscient, which means that narrator knows everything. So then you need to establish rules for that narrator and what heads do they go into? You know, because sometimes they don't get into everybody's mind. They still sometimes don't say everything. So you've got to really um, be focused on that. But one other thing with it uh, definitely is like you need to make sure that the reader knows when you've changed point of view, even in third person omniscient, or I mean, even when you're jumping into someone else's thoughts, there has to be a way to tell that that happened. Yeah, yeah. So again, I'm I'm going to beat this drum. I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with that metaphor. But but <laughs> but it's everything is in service of the story. So when you're and the reader's experience, I should say, and the reader's experience of the story and how well you convey what's in your mind and heart to the reader so that they have a similar experience mm -hmm. or their own interpretation of that experience. So when you're, when you're doing omniscient, a third person omniscient point of view, we generally don't see the character's direct thoughts because those are in the character's own words, essentially. And, and that's going to be a different voice, chances are, from the narrator. Mm -hmm. And so you, so considering, like, that's one consideration, is having that be different and, and how that's working. And in third person limited, you can dive right into those thoughts because it's in the voice of, you know, the whole telling is in the voice of the character. The other consideration, I think, for for point of view and, and head hopping is the narrative distance and how you manage the transitions. So how close, and we in, in episode 101, we actually talk about narrative distance. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so if you need more information on that, that's coming right up. So how far, you know, as you say, how far into the heads or how close are we getting to those characters? Are we way back? Are we, you know, right on their shoulder? Are we inside their head experiencing and seeing things exactly as they do? Mm. And to make sure that those transitions, we don't go quickly from inside the head 
of one character to inside the head of another character, that we have a smooth enough transition that the reader can easily follow and isn't pulled out of the story saying, you know, or thinking like, what, wait, what just happened? Who's this? Mm -hmm. You know, so that's the, those are the important things I think to consider when you're thinking about POV and, and whether you're head hopping. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, if you're, if you take the Clark Chamberlain school of fiction on this stuff, that third person omniscient narrator should really be a not a character it doesn't need to be an actual person in the story but they become a character in themselves like that that voice needs to be strong from the narrator and if it's not like don't use this as a cop-out oh i don't head hop i just write third person omniscient and you don't actually have a narrator that's actually strong voice throughout it yeah you got to make sure that you're doing it the right way because it's again point of view really comes down to the idea of how are you going to tell the story how do you want to connect with your audience yes i i am behind the clark chamberlain school <laughs> of fiction writing 100 percent. that's a great point because yeah the narrator's voice is distinct and and should be mm -hmm. and yeah even if it's not a character like i'm trying to think the book thief the narrator was an actual character. It was mm -hmm. death, basically. And not basically, it was death, period. <laughs> and so sometimes you do actually have a narrator like that, a character who is the narrator, and you have a framing story built around the yeah. main story. But you don't have to have that, but you still should be, have a consistent voice for the mm -hmm. when you have that omniscient Absolutely. So, um, and again, my prediction, the next 20 years, maybe 40 at the most, we'll see a lot more of it coming back into style. So as the pendulum swings the other direction. Okay. Uh, another question. Yeah. This is from Amanda Herzberg. And she asks, how do you determine the most suitable length for a story? Whether it would work best as a flash, short, a novella or novel. Or a series. <laughs> yeah. So I think about this is what's the story you want to tell? Is mm -hmm. it a big story with lots of characters, big ideas, and a big, I already said big cast of characters, <laughs> far reaching in time and space? Obviously, that's a series or at the very least a, a novel. And, and maybe a novel that even is longer than the standard size of that genre. Right, right. Whereas, you know, on the on the other end of the spectrum, like even shorter than short stories, you have flash fiction. That's a snapshot almost. You know, it's a picture. I mean, it's a story, but it's a story that's told in a snapshot, essentially. And so a short story is about one pivotal event. And so so I think that the answer to this question comes down to what's the narrative vehicle that's going to be most effective to tell the story you want to tell. Mm -hmm. And um, if you find that you are going over, right, that uh, try to shorten it up, try to cut a bunch of it out, see what happens. Um, see what happens 
especially if you're trying to do, like you mentioned, you know, big ideas, mm-hmm. if you've got a really in-depth world, you know, a novella is going to be difficult to really immerse the reader in that world. Mm-hmm. And so it depends. That's another big consideration of how much, how much world building, how much immersion you're trying to do in your story. Yeah. And, and I think the same thing is like how big a change is your character going to go through over the course of the story? Because if it's a big change arc, then that it, you need to have sufficient events that happen that demonstrate the change over time. And, and so that's, you know, Again, it comes down to it's so funny because when I when we got this question, I think about how uh, asking my mom about recipes when I was growing up and how much of this do I put in in the mm-hmm. recipe? And she would always say enough. And that's not really <laughs> helpful. <laughs> no, <laughs> not terribly useful. Kind of smart alecky, actually. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but but the point is to look at the look at the story and look at the elements of the story you want to tell, and that will give you the clue about how big to make it. Exactly. So I couldn't uh, I couldn't add anything else to that one. So um, next question is from Jonathan Para, and he asks. I have wondered how people write characters' thoughts, thinking. Of course, we could write, she thought, but I am not a fan of this. I have come to just write the thinking with no indications, leave it up to my writing and reader's uh, interpretation of it. Is the character or just, is the character or just narration? What are some examples of writing character thought? Thank you for your time and the great podcast and all its content. Thank you, Jonathan. Thanks. Yeah, so this is this is wide open essentially. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I I think the the basic options are italics with a thought tag. Some mm-hmm. people will even put thoughts in quotation marks, but I think that's a little that's confusing to me because then yeah. how do you have them it yeah, it can be unclear. So yeah. you can have essentially, yeah, italics with the thought tag. You can use italics without the thought tag, or you can use it without. And and the you know to a certain extent, it's preference. And as long as you're being clear with the reader, then I mm-hmm. think you know do do what you love again in in service of the story you want to tell and the reader's experience, and mm-hmm. and know that the that you're dealing with you're affecting narrative distance depending on what you're doing the thought tag tends to separate us a little bit whereas no thought tag gets us closer inside that character's experience Mm -hmm. and you know if you have multiple point of view characters in the story the thought tags might be necessary if you only have a single point of view character then i would say that you're pretty safe to just remove them because then it just allows the flow. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I mean, there's just, there's a lot of different ways that you can handle it and consistency throughout the entire book is the top priority. Don't do, don't do quotations or italics or the thought tag and then some other place not do it that way. Just 
train your reader on what they are to expect because that way then they can come across this stuff and they can start dropping it off. That's why the, the he said, she said is such a good um, a dialogue tag because our minds are so used to it, we drop it. We just skip it. Um, but we still know who's speaking. So Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The I was thinking, do I have... I think, oh, yeah, that thought tags can be a little disruptive. I mean, my mm-hmm. personal preference is italics without the tag because it's an immediate indicator of what it is. Yeah. But at the same time, it, it doesn't have the dial or the thought tag to get in the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I do. I like the just italics, no tag, nothing else. Yeah. And um, same kind of thing when we were talking earlier about switching point of view. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a visual cue, um, like a double return and not indented on the left where the rest of them are indented. You know, like just something that like the reader can actually start to to realize because, again, train your reader mm-hmm. that they know that it is switched. And then you don't have to explain it. Like then you're just moving right. to the next thing. Yeah. Yeah. And it, I just remembered some people will do double quotations for dialogue and single quotations for thought. <laughs> and I, I'm not a fan, but again, in service of the story and for your reader's experience, if it works, then uh-huh. rock on. <laughs> <laughs> so um, that is all the, the reader questions that I have in here, except we did have some additional questions. Do we have time? I don't know where we're at on I our time. I think we're pretty, yeah, we're, we're pretty running a little over. long. So ah. I will write up a little thing about some of these other questions so that we can, so that we can get them answered for you. But yeah, I don't, I know our, we're even running a little longer than we normally do. So I want to make sure we well, it's episode 100. It is. So, <laughs> now, we've gone through all these different questions. Do you have an editorial mission for all this? I do. <laughs> so the editorial mission for this week is to master the craft by finding your strengths and weaknesses. So look at your body of work, published or not, and what do you notice What are your strengths that you can leverage that you can really, you know, that you do really well? And how can you capitalize that to make your fiction shine? And then what are your weaknesses? Where do you struggle in particular? And, And keep that list. And because what I want you to do is find a resource to broaden your knowledge base in one thing. And you could do a different thing each month or, you know, for each project, whatever works best for you. But find a resource for that. If you need one, write to us because we have a lot of tricks in our pockets <laughs> and a lot of resources. So, so if you don't know where to turn for a good resource on a particular topic, then you can write to us at hello at writership.com for a suggestion. And then, you know, once you find your resource, then I want you to practice until you become a master. And I think that that's 
one of the things that's so important in writing in any craft is that you focus in on the places where you're struggling and really put some effort into them. And then those can become your, those can become your strengths. Even if they're always challenging, you can, you can master those things. So, yeah. That's a good one. Thanks. So, a special, well, not special reminder, just (laughs) a reminder that you can go to writership.com slash episodes and sign up to get the editorial missions delivered right to your inbox. And if you usually listen to the podcast when you're on the go, this is a great solution. So, yeah, we're just wrapping up. And the Writership Podcast is brought to you by the good folks at Author Marketing Club, which you can find at www.authormarketingclub.com. Don't forget, when you become a premium member today, you'll gain access to the new and improved Amazon Reviewer Grabber tool. Okay, and I have a lot of stuff to tell you before we go. One is that if you want to support us on Patreon, thank you so much. And you can visit patreon.com slash writership. If you want to grab your 100 quick writing tips, visit writership.com slash quick tips. If you want to submit your five pages to be reviewed on the podcast, go to writership.com slash submissions. If you enjoy the show, we would really appreciate your honest review on iTunes or Stitcher. And finally, be sure to check out episodes of The Book Editor Show, which Clark hosts with Peter Turley. That's it for episode 100. We'll see you next time. (laughs) We'll see you next time on the Writership Podcast. Ready for Leslie and Clark to help you find the treasure in your manuscript? Submit your pages to writership.org forward slash podcast.